This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them 5 thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range then visit their website that can be found in the write up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I am your host Ryan Dalton. As always, thanks a bunch for clicking play on the pod. Well, hello nerds. Lovely to talk to you for another week's episode. You can probably tell by the noises around me that I am not in the studio with quotations either side. Um, I am somewhere else recording the intros. There's not going to be any 60 second nature news because I am somewhere. I'm sat with someone who's on this episode. I've just realised. Well, I haven't just realised, but that's just actually come together as a puzzle in my head. Um, I'm on the Isle of Butte visiting my good pals Lucy and Nadia. I just thought I would do the intros sat here in this beautiful garden because Nadia, this is your house. It is, isn't it nice? It is absolutely stunning. And the garden is too nice? Never. <laughs> for what, me, it's too nice. What constitutes too nice? Um, it's me, very it's special. It's it's, so special. It's very special. It's, it's layered, that's what I like. It's layered, it's a multi layered garden with very wild. Very wild is, is very what wild. it is, yeah. Full of dung beetles at the moment. We found a massive pile and, and of... A, and <laughs> and <then> we did. <laughs> it was the mother load. It was, and Lucy described it as a beetle bonanza. Which is exactly what it was. Um, it was amazing. Um, how long have you lived on in the Isle of Butte now? I've lived on the Isle of Butte a year. And Love. expectations versus reality? Uh, surpassed on all levels. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Really, really beautiful place. Uh, place just to wonder. And we've had a, a, just a non-stop stream of visitors. I don't know why that want to come and <laughs> I visit. I know why. <laughs> I, I know exactly why. Um, I had so, like I said, we're not going to do sixty-second nature news this week. Um, that will return next week. Um, but I will share this. I see as a positive bit of nature news is that I not only saw my first wild seal. I actually was in the water coincidentally with the seal can confirm can confirm for can me. confirm Thank you. yeah it was yeah and i didn't say a word really i was so sh- struck by it it was a beautiful moment i think one of my favorite things about nature is enjoying other people enjoying nature probably above and beyond my enjoyment is just yes, being in the it, it was just such a nice moment to hear see and be in that same space as that animal was amazing and so, you were swimming not unlike a seal with ease too cutting much through the like, water. That's why I actually made me feel a bit worried about being with the seal. I thought, hey, like, this could turn into something else. Um, no, it was magical. It was absolutely... What's that bird I can hear? There's lots of starlings making noises. Starlings. Yeah, yeah. It's very nice. Um, and Lucy and I actually enjoyed some gannets diving last night. So I've nice. had a very nice nature-filled weekend. That's my nature news for you. That's what's been going on. Ryan's been absorbed in it out of London in clean air, which is nice. I can breathe. Um, and seeing some new nature. So this episode, Nadia is on, along with a lovely man called Nick. Um, and what well, do you want to tell? I, I usually tell people what we're talking about. Do you want to tell people what this episode's about? Yeah, we've been talking about the right to roam, mm-hmm. which is our right to 
wonder in the countryside, which we don't have in England. So currently in Scotland, it's been a really weird experience for me because I moved yeah. up here a year ago and found myself at various thresholds and whether that's a wall or a fence or a field <laughs> between a field and just thinking, oh God, I can't cross. And yeah. then met some beautiful people here who were like, no, no, you can just wander across the field. And I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> this is so weird because I've got this like deeply learnt you do not you go do where that. you don't belong. So, yeah, this is all about the right to roam and the fact that we don't have it in England. Um, we have access to about 8% of the countryside and the rest is blocked off. So we're talking about that. It was it was a wonderful chat. I really enjoyed it. Um, so, nerds, enjoy this episode, Right to Rome, with Nadia and Nick. Well, Nick and Nadia, welcome to Into the Wild, the podcast. I've never said the podcast after Into the Wild. I don't know why I just did it then. Um, but welcome to the show. Lovely to have you both here. Um, Nadia, how are you? Good, thanks. Good. Have you had a, a good day? I mean, it's I've been... already asked you this off. You've already asked recording. me this. <laughs> yeah, you've already. For the listeners, <laughs> have you had a good day? I've had I've had an up and down day. It's okay now. It's lovely. Uh, the day is kind of coming to, coming to an end and I'm having a beer, so it's good. Perfect. No. Perfect. <laughs> um, what's what's the weather like on Butte? It's it's grey, windy, and rainy. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I, yeah. That, yeah that's yeah, nice. That's I judge 20. it by I judge it by the waves that I can see from my window, and they are moving. <laughs> They're steely. You judge all weather by the waves. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been twenty degrees here in London. Well, which it was not 20 degrees yesterday. So it was a surprise this morning when I left the house in four layers. <laughs> um, and I ended the day in one layer. Um, which lovely, one? The top half. Okay. I still had the bottom half on. <laughs> I didn't just have one onesie on or nothing on the bottom. Um, <laughs> lovely to have you here. Nick, lovely to meet you and have you on the show. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Very welcome. Um, and I think you're the first person to be on the show that's recorded not within a pro- but you're on your narrow boat. I, I assume narrow boat, or is it a not wide Not within beam? a proper what were you going to say? I was going to say, <laughs> I was going well, to say within a home or flat. Terrestrial. You could have just gone terrestrial. It is a home. It is a home to me. Of course. And many other marginalised groups (laughs) called the boaters. And I'll tell you what, we'll talk about this campaign now, but when we smash that in a couple of years' time, we will be right on it to defend the boaters. They've just put up 150 quid a day mooring fee on all of Sonning, where George Clooney lives which what? meant all of the boaters have come down also yeah but it's just it's just land rights gone cray cray isn't it well, <laughs> it's like there's right. so much for us to do but yeah it's happening in london as well crt have sold off a load of towpath space mm-hmm. so it's all minimalized it's, and, and there's now more traffic and yeah it's not nice but but anyway i love your boat <laughs> can, I just, can i just ask for clarification is that specifically got anything to do with george clooney or is that a coinkydink Squinky dink, yeah. I just, uh, yeah. I think Clooney's pro boater, really, probably. Having studied the oeuvre, uh, I right, you know. That vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit traveller, like isn't so. he? I'd like to think so. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's devilishly charming, and so are we. So, of course, uh, <laughs> of course. What is your, what's your biggest bugbear on the canals? What do you? I've got to ask you. As someone that spends half their week on a canal. 
definitely what well, they're called the uh, gin palaces or the yogurt pop boaters yeah. i should imagine your girlfriend feels the same way yeah. uh the kind of uh, fair weather boaters that have got no concern for uh the wake they leave which erodes the bank which destroys either the river bank or the side of the canal which they then use to say that boaters are destroying the banks and all they want to do is turn the canals and the rivers into recreation places and uh, they're somehow terrified of people that love it so much they want to stay there and not go home. (laughs) It's as if anarchist horizontal communities terrify monopolised (laughs) top-down power structures. As if. (laughs) (laughs) You've got too much freedom. Stop it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) You dare think about moving. <laughs> uh, well, it's lovely to have you here. So, you, this is the first time I've done an episode with two people for a while. So, I need to get back in the swing of this. Let's start with this, Nadia. Do you want to start by telling us who you are and what is it you do? Thank you for starting with the woman and marginalised <laughs> Pakistani person. Um, so, who am I and what do I do? Um, I would. So, I work in nature conservation. I work in policy for protected areas. That's my day job. Um, outside of that, I am a naturalist, a lover of all things nature, and do a little bit of activism in and around land justice nice. in my spare time. Mm. I like, like, I like, like to do a bit of that. Land. land justice sounds like, it, I mean, it sounds busy, but it also, it sounds quite powerful. I don't know if yeah. I'm projecting on that, but yeah, it's it, it very important as we'll find out in today's show. But how did you get into activism for land justice? If you don't mind me. No, that's a, it's a good question. So I've worked in nature conservation for about 15 years, maybe a bit over. And the longer that I've been in the sector, the more and more I came to realise the issues around the biodiversity crisis that we've got are not necessarily about people, disturbance, all of mm. the things that tend to take more of the airwaves. Mm. It's actually around land, land in this country and what we've done with land. And as I came to realise that, I started looking more into... How we tackle biodiversity crisis doesn't involve people really at all and people's connection to nature and people's access to land. The conversations that we're having just don't involve people and their rights. Yeah. And I just went down that wormhole and never came back out again. So yeah. um, it kind of progressed into that space. And I felt and I felt and I still feel like quite a lonely voice in the sector that wants to talk more about communities rather than species. I often hear that in the conservation sector. The currency that we work in is in species mm-hmm. and in understanding the natural world, which is, I think it stems from the study of natural history, which is deeply colonial in terms of studying individual species, intensely learning about them and wanting to save them. It's very paternalistic and it just doesn't involve people at all. And it was almost like when you see it, you can't unsee it. And so yeah. it, it just took me down. It took me down that route. It's, I, I really, I think I connect with that a little bit because of a, a trip I did this year going and being in Namibia for a short time, but talking with the people out there and one of the contacts we were traveling with, what well, I probably had over overall 30 hours of conversation about conservation with this person. And for about 45 minutes, we might have spoken about wildlife. The rest of the time, it was just talking about communities and people mm-hmm. and how that is related and how important that is in every single bit of work they do. And I've not had that same experience here. I should have. And with certain people, like, you know, when I've spoken to yourself and similar minded people, but in the mainstream part of it, absolutely not. So, yeah, I think I connect quite like, like you said, once you see it, it's like, well, this is actually the big problem over here. here. Um, Nick, what about yourself? Do you want to tell us all who you are and what is it you do? 
Can I just say a word on who Nadia is? Because uh, I feel like Nadia is the single best thing to have happened to the land rights movement since Joanna Farrar cut off the Lord Chancellor's head 800 years ago during the Peasants' wow. Revolt. I'm not even kidding, but, uh, you know, like uh, if, if Nadia hangs around, <laughs> then we'll get this done, basically. And uh, I don't mean that as a way of pressurising Nadia. I just mean that in that she's just incredibly badass. And I still haven't met her in the flesh. Have you guys not? No. Oh, no. oh we should have done this on location. <laughs> Which location? <laughs> a boat, because it's the most beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm. My name's Nick. Uh, I, I do did a book called The Book of Trespass. I've just got a book out now called The Trespasser's Companion, which is basically saying, "Oh well, you know, here's all the history of how we were excluded from the countryside. You know, this is why and how we were expelled from nature." Uh, and then the Trespassers Companion is really just, I don't know how we managed to get Bloomsbury to pay for 250 pages of our right to roam propaganda. But we did. And it's basically saying we can't do this alone. We need to decentralise. We need everyone out there that cares to actually get out there and trespass, but crucially to publish that trespass on the trespasserscompanion.org, uh, which basically turns your individual trespass into a kind of collective action uh, for change. Almost like a uh, citizen so, science kind of thing. Like you're all coming together and doing it on your own and then it comes to a bigger thing. But to be honest, citizen science is a great analogy because there's a whole chapter on it, on, on that kind of sense that there's so much that the public can be doing to protect nature, to actively care for it. And citizen science is this wonderful coalition between like, you know, ancient nature uh, connectivity and a kind of modern, empirical, rational, rational, but also just using apps to yeah. benefit a, a, a more collective knowledge of the countryside. But hopefully we'll get onto that because <laughs> there is this orthodoxy, this accepted understanding that the public just cannot be trusted in the countryside because we're a load of wanton ravers that will just go crushing lapwing nests because we don't like ground nesting birds. But the truth is the absolute opposite. England is a nation of uh, amateur botanists, entomologists, you know, just lovers of the natural world. And it, it, it's time for us to reclaim the rights that come with that love, basically. Absolutely. And you both, obviously, from your background, you both have that love for the natural world. It's evident in not only, you know, what you're doing now, but just from how I know you both, uh, Nick, from a short time, I know you would as well. But Nadia, with the natural world, what is what is your favourite thing about it? Big question. But No, it's, a, it's an amazingly ridiculous question. What's my favourite thing about the natural world? You're welcome. Um, if, <laughs> so if I was to distill it, I reckon it's the purest form of awe. And I often think, like, imagine what it would have been like to be a human a thousand years ago and looking at the night sky. And I don't know how many people have had the privilege to be somewhere that's really dark. And you look at the night sky, it hits you in your chest, like thinking about it now, almost. Yeah. I don't know, I can't vocalise it particularly well. I'm not, uh, I'm not a writer. <laughs> um, but it is, it's, it's fundamental to who we are as people. When we think back at, like, ancient humans... We made gods, we made stories, we use it for metaphor to understand the world. Humans are deeply complex creatures. I can only speak from a human point of view, I can't speak from a lapwing point of view. But we we have all of these emotions and feelings and love and hate and 
relationships with people. And it's kind of torturous sometimes when you think about it, but it's also beautiful. And I think the only way that we can really understand ourselves is to understand it through metaphor in the natural world. When I started my career in conservation, I felt like I had to like do what everyone else did. So I learned loads about nature, like scientific names, species, habitats, all of this. And I was like, I love it. I love this species because it does this weird thing. And I love this. And actually the older I've got, she says, 35. Um, <laughs> as I get older, the more I'm realizing actually what I love most about it is it's the deepest, most spiritual thing. It's a sense of awe and nothing else can give you that. And actually when I talk about nature as well, I talk about human relationship and connection because it's all the same thing. And so that's like a, a really big answer, I think, because yeah. it, it is everything. And it's, um, it's, the, it's the thing that grounds us. So how can, how can that not be the thing that I love most about it? I was going to ask you that, actually. Do you find it as something that grounds you? Like, that, you, you know, you, you say you had a day today that's up and down. Do you find like connecting with nature, then getting straight to that is, a, is your first step to grounding yourself? 100%. I called my partner and I went, something's gone wrong. I've stopped being able to talk. And I was like, I found myself stuttering a little bit. And mm. he said, what's wrong? And I was like, and I just paused. And he was just like, okay, go outside, take your shoes off. And I did. I went outside, took my shoes off and I put my feet on the grass. and. Uh, and yeah, like literally earthed me. So yeah, that's um, so cool. I love the fact that I love it can do that for well, it can do that for, for nearly everyone. I think if people tried it, do you know what I mean? But I love that when you have that connection with it because it's such an accessible and powerful thing to to have. Well, to, oh, is it well, is it well, accessible? Well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> to an extent, yeah, yeah. maybe not nationally. Nick, what about yourself? Uh, hairs, I think. Hairs, I think hairs are the best thing that uh, were invented. <laughs> Uh, and then red kites are pretty nice. badass. I like wagtails. I'm uh, really open. This is a long list in order. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot to get later. I like hogs. Hogs are all right. I, like... I love pigs. <laughs> yes. Jesus. See, I knew it. God damn. Hey, I used to live in Tamworth. They've got some really Ooh. good pigs. Oh, love a Tamworth pig. <laughs> yeah, they've got a pig named after them, don't they? In town, isn't there? <laughs> Yeah, as yeah. does Berkshire as well Berkshire, Berkshire Black Ball. Hello oh, I, Yeah, sorry I'm thinking of the male Sorry Never heard of them Nothing to be ashamed of That you don't know your pigs But uh, <laughs> uh, Basically Nadia's right The way the countryside's been sold to us For the last Probably only 70 or Since the 1970s Is that it's a lovely place For middle class people To go for a nice walk and I have never, I mean, I have never felt any kind of parallel or connection to that. It, it's just so tame and watered down and so beige. Forget the mental health benefits, the physical health benefits to being outside in nature. And not just that, the sort of incremental decline that our mental health has been proven to go through when we're detached from it. It's not yeah. just like going out to nature gives us a nice boost to our immune system or mental health. It's that being detached from it is actually sending us down the slide kind of thing we're becoming worse and worse none of mine's so wholesome I, I, I just grew up in the country uh we just used it as a place to cotch and roll joints and <laughs> stare, <laughs> stare at the blackbirds basically what is what is cotching just sitting on your ass doing nothing huh. basically Hotching. which i think is how i became an illustrator because uh you know <laughs> You've got to do something. <laughs> You're going to sit there coaching for a while. You're going to end up drawing. But it's just, there's just so much more happening in the world than yeah. uh, our human concerns. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's it basically just yeah. to be reminded of that. And, and more than that, to be a part of it. 
is essential. So, um, yeah, but basically hairs. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll come back to the hair. Let's talk about hairs for Let's sure. Let's talk about hairs for, for <laughs> half an hour. No. <laughs> Let's actually talk about our topic. Let's go on to right of Rome. So this is why we're gathered here today. So Nick, let's ask the basic question. Let's start at the top. When we say right to Rome, what do we mean by that? Well, it, it, it's different uh, across all of the European countries that practice it. And, it, and, and that's necessary because it's mm. kind of so deep into this kind of constitution of their nationality. It's considered so inherent to their personality as a nation that it does vary slightly. But Principally, it's a code of responsibilities that the the human community owe the non-human community when participating in it. But it gives you the right to swim or to walk or to camp, to light a fire. Some of them, you know, to camp over. People lose their when you say we should have the right to light a fire in the countryside as if we should all go wild camping, freezing our asses off. It also teaches you responsibility through being able to understand the seasonal fluctuations, the the kind of topographical or climate, uh, environmental fluctuations and differences. It actually situates you more deeply into the landscape that you are rather than treating every venue or every place as if it is just another kind of bar or place that you can just go and take and exploit. It actually teaches you to embed yourself into the specifics of the locale. So really, it's a it's a code of rights and responsibilities that embeds communities closer to the environment around them. And in England, we've got nothing. They say we've got the right to roam over 8% of our land, as if we should be deeply grateful for that. But, but that's just the right to, to walk. Uh, and fundamentally, if you stop moving, <laughs> you've lost <laughs> you've your right. <laughs> yeah, so you best quick march, keep going. And and it just destroys that kind of sense of uh, yeah. wonder and fascination and following your own curiosity or literally following an animal. You know, where, mm. what's going on? What, what's happening? And England has become so barricaded and so militarised, you literally can't follow a river unless it's the Thames. And even then, you know, the Hilton Hotel has decided that they're exempt from the Thames path and all of that kind of thing. Uh, you, You literally can't. And if you want to get in the river, then, you know, there's whole communities of anglers that have aneurysms at just how irresponsible you're being because you're wild swimming, basically not even touching the bank. So basically the right to roam is practiced in Scotland, Estonia, Finland, Sweden, uh, Iceland, iterations of it in Germany, Austria, Bavaria. So many of our European neighbours have it codified in their constitution, some of them, how important it is for the communities to be able to go out into nature and become a part of it. And in England, we've just essentially forgotten what we've lost. You know, we've become normalised to our, the absence of it. So I was going to ask you, is that is that a big part of this? Is this normalising the fact that, you know, you're not allowed over there, there's a fence or you can't go through or you're not allowed to? Is, is that not all it is, but is that where this has come from? Just a normalisation of it? Yeah, it's shifting baselines. We got born into a situation where we were described as vandals and a threat to the countryside. And and to be honest, it's only since I would say books like Braiding Sweetgrass or In My Grandmother's Hands, where we're finally, finally people uh, from indigenous cultures have claimed a platform Mm. to be able to educate people brought up in neoliberal post-colonial environments, what a relationship with the land could look like. 
in, in a way, we can kind of exoticize uh, those indigenous cultures. You know, it's a very basic template is, uh, you know, go overseas, exploit their land, disempower their people and uh, sort of exploit their labor. Mm. And then uh, 100 years later, kind of cast them as the noble savage and how wonderful everything is. But we too in England uh, were an indigenous people. We were people that worked with and in the land. And we were the first ones to be colonized by the very same people that went over to West Africa and kidnapped freeborn people mm. uh, to exploit their labor. It was our commons that were uh, exploited first. Uh, and because of that, it's so far back in, in the past that we've just forgotten that we yeah. too have a right to the land. It's such, oh God, it's such, uh, sorry, that sentence at the end there. I'm not, not to say it's, well, it's depressing. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was trying to think of a way that doesn't sound really negative of what you just said, but it's like, you know, it's it's just a right to be able to go there and, and not being able to have that is so. The way no, it's go. not depressing is if you do something about it. End of. Mm-hmm. Fair, fair point. Just just as you were talking there, Nick, I was just thinking, like, what does it mean? I moved to Scotland a year ago from England. Since moving here, the amount of thresholds that I've stood on and I've I've met people from where I live on the Isle of Butte, beautiful human beings here who are Mm. like, oh, come on, we'll just we'll go the quick way. We'll just cross the field. And I've stood on the threshold and went, we can't. And there's like this weird like we can't. What if like um, and then they're just like looking at me like I'm weird, like what do you mean we can't just walk across the field? Of course we can't. And I'm like, where has that come from? That fear of yeah. crossing a fence and walking across a field, doing no damage. Well, that, and, I have that. I would have yeah. that 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I assume everyone's going to get shot if they do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I'm not even sure if that's ever happened, does it, in the last 20 years? I don't know. I think people's dogs have. Well, they definitely have. Definitely um, have. Yeah, yeah. But no, I just got that fear of like, I mean, I remember like, I mean, my parents would often say if we're like holidaying in the UK again, oh no, no, you can't go over there. Like that was, well, you can't go through that way. That's private. Like that was said all almost all the time. We were given so many fears. Like I, as, a, as a young person, I was taught at school, like don't go near railway lines, you'll get electrocuted. Watch out for quicksand. And if you're set on fire, stop, drop and roll. Yeah. Like the fear that we were given. But you can do whatever you want in life. <laughs> I feel like I saw videos about this stuff, but like, just basically, don't go out. I mean, we're a nation, well, a generation that grew up on nine 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 being played. Like, if you that happened. That, that happened twice in the town I grew up in. Statistically, and there shouldn't. Oh, and the, the woman in it was actually fine in the end, but she, um, I was there at one of them. <laughs> the story for another day, but I'll let you know. I did not see it coming down this route either. It was a dramatic one, yeah. <laughs> was it I loved 999. I <laughs> so absolutely I. adored it. It was brilliant. <laughs> Traumatic was so TV, but <laughs> Traumatic telly. <laughs> we just it was it was the equivalent of watching a Netflix documentary now. That's all it is. You're just watching these harrowing stories. Yeah. yeah. It's all 10 minutes long. Edited beautifully. <laughs> yeah, wonderfully. <laughs> um, so Nadia, like, I, I mean, I think this might be for the listeners a bit of an obvious question to ask. But what are the, with not having the right to access certain areas or not having the right to roam, what are the negative impacts on whether we're looking at us as individuals or part of a broader society? What are the negative impacts on that? So I think the, the stuff we've covered about how important all of the reasons that we've just explored, mm. which is what, what nature is for people and why it's so important. I think um, the not having the right to explore 
over these generations has produced what we've got today, which is what I just said, mm-hmm. which is you're born into a world where you accept what you're given. And you're yeah. like, it's great. That's a big red flag for me. I was listening to a Radio 4 program the other day and there was this lovely woman on the Isle of Wight who was saying, you know, I'm so grateful for our public rights of way. I'm so grateful for what we've got. And I was like, wow. And it just struck me how grateful that woman was for the access that she had. That's what I'm feeling right now is this: these are the impacts is when you don't have the right to roam, you're grateful for the small things that you've got. And, yeah. and, and it's this shifting baselines. We, it is the... the the most human thing to go out and wonder. The reason why we crossed the globe was because we're curious beings. I think mm. I think in us is a sense of curiosity and wonder. I think it makes us who we are. So the idea of walking along and seeing an oak tree in the distance and thinking, I'm going to go sit under that, that's so utterly human. The fact that we now live in a country where we can't and we don't, we just accept it. Mm. And this is this is the reason, this is the danger, this is the problem, these are the negative impacts. Because we've lost that relationship with land, we maybe don't understand why it's so important. And then we don't know how to protect it. And when I say protect, like not in kind of maybe a modern conservationist sense, but to be caretakers and understand that we all have a role to play. And that goes deep. And that Mm. goes deep in how we live our lives. And, And that runs all the way through to the codes of practice that we currently live by in terms of respecting the countryside and just being happy with the rule book that we've got which has been co-opted by the middle classes of you go out into the countryside to undertake recreational activities as a path, as opposed to just like, it's who we are. Yeah. Of course, going out and wondering is what humans should be doing. So the negative impacts start there. Then when you start exploring and digging in, you start going, okay, so what does that mean for like the price of property? What does that mean then for people that are flooded continuously? Mm. And it's understanding where all of these problems are coming from. And it's because of land ownership and the fact that we don't have it. We have such a tiny little fragment of places that we can operate in. And it engenders these ideas of people having buying property and that's their home. I was talking to my mum about it and she just said, well, well, what if people start walking through our garden? And I was like, what are you talking about? Why? Who is going to want to walk through your garden? No offense, mum. <laughs> I, I said to my mum, I said, I think it's really important that we end the conversation now out of love. And <laughs> when I call you back, let's talk about the weather. But um, so the impacts are huge in terms of how they affect society and what we stop caring about and what we stop noticing. And it's not proactive. This is passive stuff that's happening over generations yeah. of just kind of accepting the, the small slither of what we got. And then that starts to really negatively impact certain sectors of society over other people who maybe have wealth and access to be able to get to places. I well, when you said about conserving the land there, I guess as well, it, it's not about just fencing it off and leaving it for nature and nothing going there. It's about making sure that what we can have lasts in that way for a long time for everyone to be able to enjoy wildlife and people alike. Like like you said, like if we can have access and swim in rivers, we can conserve that to making sure we can swim in rivers forever, not just for five years. Of course we are. It's just, it's just yeah, there's this idea that because everyone, I guess that's listening that cares about nature, cares about nature. Mm. Trust me everybody will care about nature or will care about it to the extent that it's meaningful. They will have, they'll find their own meaning and they will do something about it at a local level. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show. 
accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash Into the Wild pod. The link is in the write-up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back onto the show. This conversation I've had privately with people about, you know, right to roam, I think it's quite a common thing that comes up in conservation with ecologists, with naturalists, conservationists. And you see it on Twitter as well, on social media, but you always have some comments or actual full-on conversation or debates going down this route of opening up the right to roam or the right to access could or will have negative impacts on wildlife and biodiversity. Now, that must be a real challenge for you both when you're trying to like, you know, have this kind of movement. Nick, how do you deal with that? Well, we try and remain polite in the face of such... Uh, stupefying <laughs> blindness. Um, but what do I mean by that? Just simply, A, that the scale of devastation and habitat loss and species uh, decimation wrought by the industrialization of agriculture is vastly, vastly just in- incomparable to... Uh, they always say, uh, oh, you'll crush the ground-nesting birds. There's two lapwings nesting outside in the field that I'm moored to. Uh, And and they try and make out like, uh, you know, what is it? Nightingales have declined by 90% in the last 50 years. Uh, And and they're trying to make us believe that that they're assuming that we'll be willing to ignore the fact that uh, it's not the rambler who has been cutting down trees and devastating nightingales. uh, and, And it's not the wild swimmer who's pouring... Uh, microplastics, chemicals from uh, industrial dye plants, chicken by the ton Mm. every day, uh, sewage into our river systems. Uh, It's not the wild swimmer that's responsible for that. In fact, it's the wild swimmer recently uh, on the River Wharf up in Ilkley. They were able to gain EU bathing status at first place in England to have done it. Uh, and, and in France, for example, there's like 500 places uh, mm. that have done it. But through proving that people used the river uh, to swim in uh, and, and, you know, to sort of uh, uh, explore, they were able to gain this EU bathing status, which meant the council then had a responsibility to check the levels of sewage. But the point is, only by a deeper connection mm. uh, to nature can we be expected to care about it, both on a local level and on a wider climate scale. You know, yeah. the scientist Michael Robert Pyle said, what is the extinction of the condor to a child that's never seen a wren? Uh, yeah. You know, we, God, we need a, a visceral, we need a visceral and real and personal connection to nature. Uh, but if we're not allowed in the woodland, uh, it's kind of an abstract horror that the Duke of Buccleuch is going to cut down 10 acres of it, Mm. uh, which incidentally uh, he is going to do uh, up in Kettering, because it's his right. When you own the land, part of your, the parcel (laughs) of your ownership is called your sabotendi, which is the right to destroy. So obviously the people don't know the ins and outs. So when people say you'll destroy nature, we say, oh, actually, you know, we're very polite and all of that kind of thing. But actually, the crucial thing is we're not just looking for a right to roam. We're looking for a total revolution uh, to communities and their local countryside. But the absolute important thing to say is the right to roam is how we get there. 
You can't increase people's responsibilities to the countryside unless you're actually giving them the right to care about it. And there's so many, like we're working at the moment very closely with lawyers for nature that are talking about giving legal rights to natural entities such as trees or rivers. Uh, and, and this is kind of based on a variety of uh, indigenous philosophies, but the one that springs out or just called most deeply to me was the Wanganui River in New Zealand has been given a legal personhood it's called called so if you pour sewage into it you can be sued on behalf of the river but crucially crucially obviously the river can't represent itself in court so you have in Maori it's called a kaitiakitanga who are just that's translated as river guardianship And so what we're urging people to do is to go out there, not only use, you know, very uh, available water pollution testing sample kits, citizen science. There's a number of ways in this new book uh, that you can actually go out there and actively care for your local resource, whether it's a woodland or a river or a bit of greenbelt. But actually, as daft as it sounds, call yourself the guardians of that. Actively go around, instead of leaving no trace, bring a bag and pick up the litter. You know, we're working with trash-free trails who have effectively rebranded or redesigned the act of picking up litter from just this sort of menial caretaker grumbling, oh, the bloody kids, this and that. Mm. Uh, to, to, to the status of stewardship or guardianship. When we lost our right to access the land, we lost our right to protect it. And this year we're reclaiming both, basically. It'd be great to get like a culture back like that. I, I like, do you know what I mean? Like having that guardianship of that. I think that'd be a wonderful thing to kind of bring back. I, I think that's it's, sound amazing. It's literally happening though. And this is why the landowning community is so scared because we are exposing the fraudulent claim them being stewards of the land. Uh, You know, English commons philosophy, which is what we had previous to enclosure, as we were touched upon earlier, uh, was based on not only reciprocity, but sustainability. If I go into the common woodland and I cut down all the trees, not only are my neighbours going to be (laughs) off with me, but my grandchildren are going to be (laughs) with me because they're not going to have firewood and they're going to, you know, freeze their asses off during winter. Sustainability is, uh, it might be a new-ish buzzword in the environmental movement, but it's been ingrained into commons philosophy from time immemorial. We want to return to that reciprocal value of communities being integrated into nature. And as I say, the right to roam is, is the first step in that direction. I think it's weird that people do, like, worry so much about ramblers or wild swimmers I, mean, I don't think I've ever blamed this is a bit of a blanket statement I don't think I would ever blame anything on a rambler it sounds very like it's interesting though like I so I you know I got a message from a guy the other day um because I was on social media talking about the right to roam mm. and then he unsolicited did not send me a picture of his penis but did send me a picture of all of the litter that he'd picked up over the course of lockdown. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this, but he was just like, want the right to roam? This is what you get. I was just like, whoa, I got all of this anger. Don't be so aggressive. Yeah, I got all of this anger of like, ah, and I was just like, and I just messaged back going, oh, it sounds like you live in a really beautiful place. And um, what a beautiful thing to be the steward of that place to collect the litter for those people who didn't know. Like, how have we got to a situation where people didn't know that that was problematic? And also, can I just say that we do not have a circular system. So, so much litter just comes from 
the not collecting litter properly, properly and it blowing out all over the place. <laughs> yeah. It's not people littering. And yeah. so it's just like, and, and, you know, we're talking about the debates, debates and discussions about ecologists and naturalists. And we have this very, very worrying binary about land, which is that it should be protected or it's exploited. That's it. Yeah. It should be protected from people, from inconsiderate people, from stupid people, from ignorant people. So nature can thrive or we accept that it's exploited. It's built on. It's farmed on. And it's just this really weird binary. And exactly what Nick says, unless... Unless we understand that we are part of it and it's ours to be stewards of, um, then how are we going to protect wildlife? The sense of urgency that exists within nature conservation and ecology is like, you know, there's only four of these pairs of birds left or there's only this. It's urgent. We've got to act now. Literally, it's been urgent since nature conservation organisations started. So yeah. they've been kicking around <laughs> for over 100 years. And in that time, we've panicked, panic, 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 that we're going to lose this. We're going to lose golden eagles we did from England. We're going to lose this. What is this sense of urgency that we've got? Stop for a second, because it's been declining since we existed. So maybe the idea that we protect it from people is not working. And maybe this idea, this binary is not working. And this paternalistic idea of like, we will care for it because the ignorant people that step on it will step on it and destroy it. Maybe that's yeah. not working. I'm not saying that I know that that's right. What I'm asking is, and what I'm throwing in, is that potential, shall we question and look at what we're doing? Let's just take a look critically. In one sentence, you might hear someone who loves nature that we need to be connected to it. And on the other hand, you'll say, oh, in lockdown, loads of people flocked to green areas and it was a problem. I think there's an internal split that people are really struggling with bringing those two things together. And I sometimes wonder, and this is like on a kind of maybe deeper level, is that when we see those things, that's a mirror to how we live as, as a westernized middle-class society with cons consume heaps amount. We know that we are the problem deep down. Yeah, and of instead course. of internally looking at it, we project it and go, oh my God, there's people stepping on that green nest. This is a really yeah. big problem. And so let's just stop for a minute and, and imagine... And imagine that there, there is another way to what we're currently doing, is what I would say. The other thing is, if, you, if, if you're told something enough times, you will just believe it. Like, So if you're told we're going to be a problem if we have that, that's, again, going to just encourage that, well, I can't go there because I'll probably <laughs> up. And it's, yeah. <laughs> you, you can also go for a walk and explore. And I, I just I just find that that whole argument, personally speaking, I, I say personal, it's an independent podcast, so I can say what I want. I, I just find the whole attitude of it, quite arrogant to say that people can't go and be trusted there like to blame a rambler that's like blaming a loud noise on Enya like it's just it, they're, they're never the problem do you know what I mean like it's not I don't think so I think people can be trusted more so um what so talking about the next so the next steps if, like from what you guys are working on now to try and uh, and you said it's happening so I guess Nick what could people be doing in order to help to get the right the right to Rome and what is being done nationally to help get the right to Rome lots uh, there there really is thank you very I mean, much uh, <laughs> it's been great <laughs> good night <laughs> But it's 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 just uh, another adjunct to the lie that uh, Nadia was talking about that uh, people power is futile. Uh, you know, name name a right that we enjoy right now, and that that was never given us by the people that took it away in the first place. It was fought for, and actually, trespass is a uh, just historically accurately 
a very successful way of raising the point of the, the argument, the, the issue. Because just to follow on from what Nadia was saying, all, all we're really trying to do, it's we're not saying we have all the answers. I mean, we've got most of them, but we're up for the uh, we're up for the conversation. Like England, let's talk about uh, communities, their lack of access to nature, the uh, apparent lack of uh, respect. Let's look at the reasons why and let's talk about it. But why doesn't Richard Bennion, uh, former richest politician in the government, current access minister, why doesn't he want to talk about that? Why doesn't he want to have that conversation with the population of England? There's got to be a reason. But the conversation itself has been suppressed for so long. So what, I mean, this is the reason I did the book, uh, you know, just bog standard, God's honest truth. Like uh, this is not a book that I'm particularly proud of, or it hasn't got any fancy adjectives or, you know, great writing in it. It's just like a list of the things that can be done because there's so many things that can be done and yeah. so much context to that. But effectively, we're asking people to go to trespasserscompanion.org and to upload their trespasses, to publish them with photos and writing. But crucially, the way that direct action works, and it's kind of more fun this way, like instead of just bowling uh, you know, to your nearest river and going for a swim in it, like do the research, find out who owns it, find out their context. Where did they get the money? How did they, how are they able to own, uh, you know, a quarter of the River Loddon just down the road is owned by the Duke of Wellington. I've been evicted from that river more times uh, than I can remember by the what same three... Sorry to interrupt. What happens when that... Because I guess if people are listening and they go, like, you're saying to try it, what, what's happened to you when you've been evicted from somewhere? Well, crucially, uh, what's important to say, this is why direct uh, trespass is such a great direct action. Mm. There is almost no jeopardy uh, if you get caught by a gamekeeper or uh, you know representative of the landowner, because yeah. it will never be the landowner themselves. Of course. <laughs> uh, well, I mean that's what lackeys. <laughs> yeah, they're are busy. For. They're very busy. Yeah, they're yeah. busy. They're, they're not you around. know, <laughs> Shay's <laughs> long ain't gonna sit on itself. <laughs> but um, but the thing is, like uh, one one particular example on the uh, River Loddon, you know, what they will do, they will ask you to leave. Uh, and to be honest, if you've got your photos and you've done your research uh, for the, you know, to publish it on the website, that's fine. That's not a failure. You've, rep yeah, you've, you've represented yeah. the problem. So even that's not a failure. And if you do it with a couple of pounds, then it's not even that much of a problem. You can just have a pint afterwards and laugh about it. Yeah. If you decide to remain, then the police will be called. And that's going to take like four hours because unless you are Richard Drax, who got a police helicopter called out when XR went and trespassed his land, unless you are, you know, you carry the sway, then basically when the police turn up, they're going to ask you to leave. And then, you know, right to Rome's advice is to bloody leave because otherwise they'll arrest you not for trespassing, but for a breach of the peace, which is right. this made up, uh, you know, yeah. catch all thing for the police don't like you and they need some way to crush you. So you just call it a breach of the police. A breach of the police, if only. Um, but so, so, but on, on the River Loddon, basically, first, uh, like uh, I was there kayaking with a journalist from the Sunday Times, just as some sort of, you know, sort of advert article for the book kind of thing set up by the press people. <laughs> Two older guys literally stuck their head up from a patch of nettles and were like, 
who the f*** do you want? You know, do you know you're trespassing? And like, blah, blah, blah. But because I had a journalist from the Sunday Times there, I thought it was quite an interesting power dynamic. Like, they've got all the power to be aggressive and nasty to me. But actually, later on, this is all going to end up in the Sunday Times magazine. So it was quite an interesting... What an so interesting we stayed. power. <laughs> their, their boss then came along and he said, I'm an ex-policeman, you better get a move on. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get arrested. And I reminded him that that wasn't the law. Uh, and we we stuck about. And then the estate manager came along, who was sort of uh, a bit like Rory Stewart, kind of uh, ex-military, pink shirt, nice guy. Look here, we'll all get along. Don't No need to worry. And I realised that's the three stages of land power. You've got your sort of brutal, you know, the lackeys being aggressive to you. You've then got this kind of reminder of this systemic situation. The police are going to come and take away your liberty. And then right at the end, is actually the first look that we get at land power, which is kind of the silk-shirted website. Uh, you know, the Duke of Wellington's estate comprises 200 and da-da-da thousand acres of land and, you know, sustainability and blah, blah, blah. You've got the kind of PR front of it. Uh, but I was lucky to meet all three levels of them because I think they were getting tired of me being there. But so, so effectively, to answer your question... We're asking people basically to buy the book, but if you don't want to buy the book, borrow it off a mate or just go to the website, trespasserscompanion.org. The book's crucial because it gives you all of the, you know, how to FOI information, how to look up on company's house, who owns this stuff, how to create a narrative, like what's the angle here, how to write a press release, how to make your local newspaper, you know, sort of interested in the story then construct a story. It's basically like Reservoir Dogs at the start. You know, you, you get all your mates around, you've got a map, a blueprint of the warehouse, um, and you just, you, you turn the whole thing into a heist movie and, and, and you work it out what you're going to do uh, and then go along. And there is a spike of adrenaline, but after a while you realise you're not, like, it's, why the adrenaline? All, all you're yeah. doing is going for a swim in a river <laughs> and it's quite nice. And if you get away with it, there's not even a sense of disappointment because you're not even looking for the confrontation. The quote that starts the next book is from David Graeber, and it says, the principal aspect of direct action is the insistence on living as if you're free already. So we're not asking people to bang drums or go looking for a fight. We're just looking for people to access nature in the way that we wish to, which is peaceably and with respect to the landowner and the, the non-human community, you know, the ecology. I like um, that. Yeah, me that's, too. That's really cool. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, no, it's it's nice, and it's nice to hear it said like that as well. Because I guess that's something that you actually don't hear mainstream a lot of it said in that kind of way. My normal end to the podcast question would be: if you could give one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world, what would it be? But I'm going to change it if it's all right for you two to say if you could give one bit of advice regarding right to roam, aside from try it yourself, if there's a specific element that you guys like personally, that's what I'm going to ask you. So Nadia, if you could give one bit of advice onto everyone on the planet regarding right to roam, what would you pass on? I think I would ask people to consider their relationship with nature. Like just sit and consider it because self-reflection is really important. So think about. How do they enjoy it? Mm. What rights do they currently enjoy? So on a weekly basis, how do they go out and be in it? Think about that. And then think about 
if that was applicable to that same extent to everybody that lives in this country, what do you think the world would look like? How does that make mm. you feel? And just sit with it. Think, how does it make me feel if everybody did what I did? And if that starts to feel uncomfortable, start to question why that is uncomfortable. It's really important for people to think about their rights and their privilege. If it feels like that would be exhausting or stressful or uncomfortable, then maybe wonder why that's uncomfortable. And maybe it's because we are only allowed to access very few places. So if everyone did what you did, it would start to feel uncomfortable. And maybe that's because people don't have equal access, maybe because our planning system means that there aren't green spaces nearer to people. And I feel like something we haven't mentioned in this kind of podcast show is that there's not equity in terms of access to land at all. And it's not just about where the paths are and where they're not, particularly black and people of colour do not have the same privileges often in accessing the countryside. Certainly all of the black and people of colour that I talk to the majority of talk about feeling uncomfortable and not welcome in the countryside. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's because often it's not where they live and it's just for all different kinds of reasons, which is a whole other podcast, I think, probably. Yeah, probably. Although, although intensely <laughs> yeah. linked. And I think, so yeah, one of my, my, my bit of advice was just to sit and, having listened to all of this, think about how would you how you would feel if you went out for a walk and it was busy. And if that makes you uncomfortable, think about why it makes you uncomfortable and think about where the blame sits. Who are you angry at? Who are you frustrated with in those situations? Because it's never individuals. It's never people. And to just try and come from a place of kindness because your need to be in nature is the same as everybody else's need. And I think that's what I would ask people to do. Amazing. And Nick, if you could give one bit of advice onto everyone regarding right to roam, what would you pass on? For fun, just actually uh, Google. <laughs> yeah, just hairs. Just hairs. Just, uh, yeah, hairs. Hairs are nice. <laughs> no, just for fun, actually look up the English countryside code. See what the oh, hell it yeah. is. Find out that it's basically just a PDF, one page with six bullet points on it. And then for more fun, Google the Scottish Outdoor Access Code and see the kind of interactive, detailed, kind of multi-layered machine that it is uh, of of connectivity to nature. Like, just look at the difference and see that all they did in 2003 was give people the right to roam. Uh, And with that right comes responsibilities. But these responsibilities aren't like bullet points with the Mm, English countryside code. They're ways of learning about, you know, that there are reasons why you need to be responsible. And those reasons themselves pull you deeper into the actuality of the countryside and the ecology that we're so privileged to live in, but so unprivileged to be excluded from. I'm with Nadia, though. Sit and consider what the future could look like and how unequal it is. Because, you know, I I wrote the book of Trespass with the privilege of a straight white male with Mm. a pretty plummy middle class accent. There is a greater threat for people that don't share my characteristics or upbringing uh, when confronted by people. So therefore, it's incumbent on those that have the privilege uh, to put in the extra work to make sure that there is parity or equity in the countryside. Uh, and that's, I would say that's a duty of privilege rather than an option. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Well, both of you, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed having this chat about Right to Roam. It's something that comes up in conversations with myself, friends and people online all the time. And it's nice to actually sit down and have a conversation and learn loads more about it. So Nadia, Nick, thank you so much for being on today's show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.